Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Compassionate Caregiver Podcast. I am your host, Martha Tyler. And this week, I'm so excited because we are talking about masculinity and caregiving. Um, and to do that, I have brought on Saeed Hill. Hello. How are you, Saeed? Hey, Martha. I'm doing well. How is it going with you? It's going really well. And actually, you know, I just realized that I should have added doctor in front of that because that is important. <laughs> and you worked hard for that. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's okay. But I also appreciate the recognition for sure. <laughs> yeah. If I mean, if I had doctor in front of my name, I would make everyone say it all the time. So <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I'm trying to step more into that for sure. I need that energy. Yes. We'll keep upping that energy. Yes. Big doctor energy. Um, Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) um, Well, wonderful. I am so appreciative of you spending time with us today to talk about this because this is a subject that I have run into um, both as a as a nanny and um, now my work in a therapeutic space um, of this I think real paradigm shift that we're seeing with masculinity and caregiving. So I'm glad that you're here to talk about it. Um, and I, I would love to just start with your background. Like, mm-hmm. uh, how did you become interested in the idea of masculinity and, yeah. and the prevention of violence and all of that good stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think on some level I've, I've always, um, just kind of it's kind of noticing some of the things that my mom would honestly talk about when I was younger um mentioning things around race and being a woman of color and and how that plays out in corporate workspaces and so she'd have uh, conversations with me about gender and harassment every once in a while and so that got me somewhat interested right and like what's going uh-huh. on with that as a kid um but it really wasn't until um my first year in grad school that I really um, uh, went into more of that that piece of the field. Um, when I went to the American Psychological Association, their um, annual conference was in DC that year. And um, I was in a circle with um, several other f- uh, female colleagues of mine. And they mentioned to me um, how there was harassment, they were being harassed at the conference by other men, other male psychologists and, uh, you know, psychology colleagues. Um, and then when they went and talked to the police officers there about it, the police officers also sexually harassed them. And so, yeah, you know, they were recounting this and recounting a lot of the stories in grad programs and professors and chairs using power um, to try to leverage power and to, you know, get really icky things, you know, from these students. And I was, you know, uh, you know, being a man in that space, not having to know those stories, not experiencing those stories. Um, yeah, it just had impact on me. So I started being interested in just researching um, things like benevolent and hostile sexism in the workplace. And it kind of led me to more of like violence, violence prevention, really bystander intervention mm-hmm. um, work and looking at that. And it naturally led me to examining, well, why are people perpetrating violence and why are men or, or why is, um, you know, this version of masculinity play out so often and how that impacts folks. And so it just kind of uh, took me down that road. But it really started with some of these narratives and stories from folks in my life that made me more curious about the origin of that and what we can do about it, for sure. Yeah. And I, I'm so appreciative that you were able to like listen and hear it and um and then start to do that work i i feel like that's a step that um i have not experienced 
very often um, from mm-hmm. men in my life of the both holding space for it and then also yeah. beginning work around that. You know, I I appreciate that. I also recognize uh, how low the bar is, you know, right, for right. us to, <laughs> to hear you and your pain and your plight, um, you know, because you deserve that. Um, and these folks, you know, my life deserve that and we all deserve that. So I, you know, um, I appreciate it. And I just want to hopefully we could just model that more so we could raise the bar a little higher for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Agree. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we think about like masculinity and caregiving, um, mm-hmm. I, I, we can go at it from several different ways, but I would love to start with the idea of how we raise boys, you know, like, yeah. and, and yeah, assigned male at birth kiddos, like mm-hmm. in our world. Um, and I, I have seen some like shifts in that, right? Like Target yeah. is like, we're not having gendered toy areas anymore. Although mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's really borne out in the aisles, but mm-hmm. They say, <laughs> yeah, not right, right, having it anymore and things like that. So, yeah, um, yeah. What are some like ways that we can help that shift along in our caregiving? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so, yeah, you're definitely getting at it in that it's it's beyond just what kind of toys we can offer uh, folks uh, in our lives, right, or boys in our lives. But I, I think where the importance of something like that is is. Uh, being able to allow these boys to just fully explore if we're talking just toys for example you know exploring different toys and not being judgmental of it I think where we run into some issues with parents in particular uh, when we talk to them about uh, raising their boys is they are very much afraid of their boys being ostracized for the decisions that they're making and so we see a lot of parents already instilling in their boys at young ages many times unintentionally right right? or even unconsciously um these rigid gender stereo gender stereotypes um to ascribe to them so we might uh scrutinize some of the toys they're playing with if they tend to be more aligned with feminine you know identifying folks or you know femme of centers toys or female toys whatever you know you want to say about it so um so we see a lot of that. And so I think one of the things we try to encourage with uh, parents instead um, and or anyone raising boys is to show a curiosity about the toys that they're playing with or what draws them to certain toys and and try to start culti- having like, you know, age appropriate conversations about those sorts of things. Right. Um, you probably wouldn't be talking about rigid gender role stereotypes and gender gender role strain with, you know, three or four year old. But you could start just asking them some questions about you know, oh, what do you like about that toy or, you know, whatever it may be, right? And and affirm them in that and reinforce their exploration. So I think that that's a big key piece is exploring that. Um, I think also as you get older, you know, outside of just raising them with like what their interests are, I think it's having more intentional conversations with them about uh, things like uh, bodily autonomy, right? And decision-making about asking for consent and those sorts of things. So for example, I have a friend who um, has a nephew, you know, I have a little nephew and he, um, you know, he's like at that age, you know, seven, you know, the seven to 10 kind of range. Yep. But, you know, uh, we'll be watching TV. Sometimes we'll be watching something. And I remember once we were watching a TV show and it was like this binary, this like young boy and this young girl, you know, this and, um, you know, the boy just randomly kisses her. Um, on the mouth just in this scene and then they stare at each other for a while and the boy just like runs off you know it was mm-hmm. just this very quick thing <clears throat> and so I turned to you know my uh my nephew and I was like you know what, what do you think about that what do you think about what just happened there and he said something about like kissing girls is gross I think he said <laughs> so you're like okay you know like let's talk we could for you know in my mind like well no not necessarily you know let's talk yeah. about that you know we get there but that's not the necessarily the crux of the issue at the moment I was getting at but um, you know, I sort of asked, well, how did you, you know, did it look like she wanted that or enjoyed that and, you know, or wanted him to do that? And, you know, he said no after thinking for a second and you kind of asked, well, how do you know? Just curious, you know, what you noticed. And, you know, he said something to the effect of, um, well, you know, she didn't ask, 
um, you know, him and he just kind of did it. And, you know, that's, um, that's not cool. You know, like that <laughs> kind of thing. So it's like slowing things down in some of these moments and being really intentional about how you're, how you're teaching boys and what you're, what, what are the values you're instilling in them um, and being intentional and really reflective of that for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes me think about, I've had several like good conversations with kids, especially around like the color pink. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, a lot of times, like even in households where there's a lot of intentionality about not boxing kids in, um, but that messaging that comes from the world in general of like pink is for girls. Yeah. Um, and just using those curiosity questions of like, oh, why, why do you think that? Like, yeah. what, what evidence do you have of that? Mm-hmm. And, and then saying, well, your dad does like pink and your dad is a boy. So like, yeah. I'm curious, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. about that and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, getting folks to just uh, helping kids explore. I mean, that is the importance of that. I mean, um, instead of trying to instill in them this this value, uh, you know, this and, and kind of rigidity around it that you're not even giving a lot of context to, you're just kind of putting it on kids without any kind of depth or conversation to it, I think is a real issue. And so, yeah, being much more intentional about those conversations and at the same time, not punishing boys when they are um, trying to explore those things. So an example being, um, uh, well, this is like an older example for like an older group, but I noticed, yeah. but it's like little things like this, but you know, aside from boys like wanting to play with like dolls and this sort of thing, you know, that sort of thing, um, how we've sort of genderized a whole bunch of stuff um, in this really arbitrary way. For example, when I was with friends before and I don't drink coffee and I just wanted, so I got a hot chocolate with whipped cream and sprinkles and all sorts of stuff. And I was like made fun of for that, right? Oh, that yeah. was like, look at Saeed, you know, getting this uh, hot chocolate, you know, why are you getting this hot chocolate? And and it's like, what are we doing? Why, why are we doing stuff like that? And it's sort of set in jest, but that has impact because we're also not having a more depthful conversation about that kind of joke, right? Like we're not really right. doing that. So what am I to, to, you know, project onto that conversation unless we're trying to unpack that a little bit deeper. So just being intentional and realizing those sorts of things for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, just one of my like kind of most proud, not most proud, but a very proud nanny memory that I have is, um, one of my former nanny kids who was about five at the time, um, his mom sent me a picture of him and he's like doing a dinosaur puzzle mm-hmm. in a princess dress. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this is your work. <laughs> like, yeah. you, you really helped like this picture happen because he's interested in dress up and he's also interested in dinosaurs mm-hmm. and like, he's yeah. fine with it, you know, like, yeah. and so. Absolutely. And, and, and a hundred percent, and we know that because we we have the research on it. You know, studies on how exploration of of gender, in particular for for kids, is just important for their exploration and not being really rigid about it. Um, and so, but I also want to mention this also doesn't mean that we're punishing or trying to prevent boys from engaging with things that are more masculine, maybe leaning or of center, right? I, there's a sect of folks out there that might listen to something like this and say, well, they're telling them not to, not to try to be masculine. And, and we're not saying that at all. We're actually saying we're trying to explore. We're just saying not to punish them for trying to explore something that could be deemed more feminine or feminine leaning, right? Like just trying to affirm exploration regardless of what it is, right? But giving more context and more intentionality to it. Yeah. And then that actually brought up for me this curiosity because I have seen a lot of families really struggle with the idea of like gun play Mm -hmm. um, in, you know, that like seven to 10 range of like being really interested in like guns and then also culturally like what that means, like this bigger meaning that that takes on and 
not wanting to discourage a type of play and exploration and also being sensitive to the fact that like there is a lot of trauma around yeah particularly young men with guns mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think that the importance there is if you are a family or you are raising uh, boys in particular with some sort of value around guns right or, or or weapons in that way i think what i would encourage if you're going to do that is to make sure you're being really again intentional about what is the relationship between this boy and this gun Right. Right. What is the relationship? Is this about power? You know, because what we tend to do is we don't have those sorts of conversations. We just put guns in uh, kids hands and then we just teach them how to shoot um, and how to maybe try to care for that weapon responsibly without a deeper exploration of like, well, what does this even mean? You know, when do you use this or how do you use this or what does it mean to use this Um, or what do you even think of this? Right. Having this. Right. Right. Because we also know that. Um, for a lot of our kids, just having access to weapons is a big issue, right? right. And, and a lot of that has to do with not having more depthful exploration of, of, of gun culture with them, right? And so um, I would definitely encourage that. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I'm also talking about like the pretend, like no, yeah. no actual gun being involved mm-hmm. at all, but yeah. them wanting to build guns out of legos or stick as a gun or anything like that and just yeah yeah and then it comes down to what your your familial values are there you know uh, around how you're going to talk about that but it still holds true about if that's if you're going to be exploring um or allowing some exploration of play to your point um can we also talk about like what it means right like what is you know what's fun about that or what, what are we exploring with that? And again, there's age appropriate ways to have some of those conversations with kids as you just ask some more intentional questions. Yeah. 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 That's, that's good stuff. Um, yeah. So I've also like in, in my adult conversations with, um, friends who are male, like I, I'm curious about, um, like they have have often reflected to me that the only emotion that they were allowed to express growing up uh-huh. was anger. And still mm-hmm. they often feel like that's the only emotion that yeah. is like really available to them to, yeah. to show. And I'm I'm curious of, about your thoughts on that and experience with that. Absolutely. Um, that's a common report from men or, or masculine identifying folks I work with all the time is that this idea of it's either no emotion or anger, right? right. It's either stoicism or anger. And when you really break that down and you unpack it, you can kind of see the reasons why for that. I think it's caught up in these rigid, more restrictive masculinity norms that we have um, around um, never let them see you sweat, right? Uh, um, if you show any kind of emotion other than those things, it's more of a sign of weakness. It's more a sign of being a subordinate, like sort of subordinate, you know, subordination. It's someone uh, who's that maybe doesn't have a lot of power in that moment. And so we socialize folks to reclaim power or reassert power through anger, right? Uh, as an emotion. At the same time, anger is a very easy emotion to recognize. When someone's angry, I mean, you kind of know, you can kind of see it, and it's usually very external for folks, but um, anger is also one of those things that's kind of a stay away from me kind of emotion. It kind of looks like that. But when we really break down anger and the psychology of it, it's really a, I need comfort, or I'm scared, or I'm hurt, or in pain kind of emotion when you go underneath anger. And so it's one of those things where anger tends to be the thing that pushes folks away, but it's really, we're wanting to bring folks toward us. And so one of the things we try to encourage with our men is to anger is not inherently a negative thing. We don't want to call emotions negative and emotions are what they are, but what do we choose to do with those emotions? And so can we encourage and model for our men how to experience their anger but then allow that to sort of wash over them almost like a wave and get to what am I really feeling and experiencing here? And if I can get to some of the pain and shame, that might be really tough. 
but at least I won't be externalizing it and lashing out at it. Um, and so, and I can become more emotionally intelligent when I'm doing those sorts of things. So we try to educate our men around that kind of psychology of anger, but it's absolutely one of the number one things I get told about uh, living in someone's masculinity is that idea of anger or stoicism and, and anger being really accepted. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is really interesting. And, and we've, talked on the podcast before about how yeah that anger is often this like defense mechanism for the mm -hmm. the deep hurt yeah um or sadness or pain or whatever it is that's yeah that's behind that well you know it's uh for me the example i give often is uh i'm from new york city and i'm very much can be a new york city driver um in terms <laughs> of my sometimes my anger and how that comes out. So yes, psychologists who do masculinity work could also be angry, right? Um, yep. <laughs> and so, um, uh, yeah, I remember one day I, I got cut off by somebody and I'm like cussing and I'm just mad and I'm angry and I get to work and it's all I'm talking about. Why am I only an hour later still talking about this person who tried to cut me off? And when I really sat with it, um, I realized, you know, what it was is that I felt really scared in that moment. Actually, they almost hit me. And I felt scared about that. And I also felt hurt because it didn't feel like they noticed me or cared about my well-being in that moment. And I felt panicked, right? And so can we get folks to start to get a little closer to whatever those feelings are? Um, because that's going to be more helpful in the long run than just sitting with the anger as a repellent and doing no other internal work around it. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, if we think about caregivers caring for children, mm -hmm. helping them learn to like sit with their feelings yeah, and then, and then digging deeper into them and seeing what's actually going on mm -hmm. will, will help cultivate that shift in adulthood of being able to like, take that step, take that breath and be like, what am I actually feeling right absolutely. now? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we see that with our parenting literature a lot, this idea of when you see a child angry or throwing that tantrum or whatever it is on the floor and you see that parent yelling at them and standing over them, we know that instinct. And But also in that moment, it's this child, this quite literal child, we often see interacting with sort of this like internal child of this parent, right? And, and it's this power dynamic. And we see and encourage, though, uh, maybe parents trying to align with their child in that moment and getting down there with them and sort of like just being in it with them to, you know, hey, you're safe. I, I'm here. You know, let's let let this wash over us and, and, and talk about it. Right. Like and that right. kind of and that doesn't feel always intuitive because of our society are very punitive sort of society and very quick society so we want the quick fix and we and we know it to be punitive because that's what we've seen modeled and mm -hmm. so let's do let so it's hard to shift our our collective um, psychology and culture but modeling that sort of thing is really vital to this and so absolutely what you said is spot on yeah yeah so because I I'm I'm hearing you talk about like how you challenge this in the clinical space and in the work that you do and I am wanting even more like in the home as yeah. caregivers, like what can we do in the home? Yeah. So I think that that modeling piece is super important. Mm -hmm. um, and if you are a caregiver who aligns more with masculinity, like I think that modeling is extra powerful, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it comes down to if you are, a male or mask identifying person and caretaker, it is about modeling that um, sort of so exploring anger, you know, not shying away from that, but getting, you know, into what like what's really going on here, right and doing that so that modeling and if you're not, um, there's a really an, a, a great importance too in um, affirming, you know, those sorts of behaviors. So still modeling it, but also right. affirming that when you do see kids doing that when you do notice um, an exploration of that. I mean, I think that's really important to affirm that because sometimes we we try to get them to suck up, you know, right. suck it up and move walk forward and yeah, walk it off, put the dirt on it, that sort of thing, toughen up. And the message is this natural feeling I'm having in this moment isn't 
um, healthy isn't good um, and should and is kind of being shamed. We need to shoo it away and get you to be something else. And so that reinforces a lot of rigidity that could be harmful in the future as as these kids get older. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've also heard along the way, you know, especially as a professional nanny that like women are just better at caring for kids. Like mm -hmm. it's just in their DNA. They're just better at it. And I'm putting quotes around it for listeners. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about like your take on, is there truth in that? Is there, mm -hmm. you know, like, is there something like on a DNA like level, like a yeah. biological level that makes women better at caring for others? Sure. So on, on that level, I mean, the evolutionary psychology on that is the literature exists, like there could be something to that, but I am not an evolutionary psychologist. So I don't want to, you know, step into that and say that like, that's definitive or not. The truth of the matter is it's, it's sort of like a mixture of a lot of things. But what I can say is that, um, we do know that our girls are socialized very early to be caretakers. And so what comes with the territory is, yes, women looking or appearing like they are just naturally much better at this. You know, there is an evolutionary piece of, of nurturing that comes with yeah. this, right, um, biologically. But for the most, what we're really seeing, though, is that this socialization piece really plays a dominant role, too, with that, like in combination mm -hmm. with that. And what happens is, is that our, our girls are, are started really young. I mean, we talked about this a little earlier with toys, right? right. The gender socialization of toys. And I, I, I you know, got, went down a nostalgia rabbit hole several months ago where I was watching old 90s toy commercials, 80s, mm -hmm. 90s toy commercials. And you have these little girls who are like three years old taking care of baby dolls that burp and spit up and pee and and cry <laughs> and all this other stuff, right? And you're like, wow, early we're already instilling that you can change their diapers. And, and you're like, well, what is that about, right? And so what we do see is in combination to some of these evolutionary pieces that again, I'm not gonna, I'm not an expert, I'm not getting into too yeah. deep, but we do know in combination with that and just the rigid gender socialization that um, it can appear that way. But we also know that men, yes, are w more than capable of being nurturing and caring and affirming and all of the caretaking things that we associate with women. Men can definitely do that, but aren't often socialized around it. And so it just looks different. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know so many men, especially in my parents' generation, <laughs> who, like, have never changed a diaper, who mm -hmm. have never, you know, like, if you didn't have your own children, yeah, um, that, like, the opportunity to do those sorts of things mm -hmm. is not even like there. Right. Yeah. So like, there's no opportunity to practice those like skills at all. And then mm -hmm. when you do them, um, folks have, have told me that it feels like you're under this like microscope of like, yes. are you doing it right? Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, well, I've never done this before. So of yeah. course I'm not going to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, can imagine that being really frustrating. Definitely. And I appreciate you bringing that up because that is a report we get from many of our male caretakers is this um, idea of the microscope and that I'm not doing it right. And scrutiny from women maybe yeah. in their lives around that. And so what we see um, is sometimes a gatekeeping uh, role that women sometimes play in parenting because of the real or sometimes imagined expectations that these men in their lives are just incapable and won't know how and aren't naturally good at it. And that unintentionally reinforces some of that with our men and maybe pushes men away a little bit more. Um, now, that's not an excuse for men, you know, right. like dipping out and not being <laughs> around and being in, in, inattentive and that sort of thing. What we are saying is that if we're looking at this as sort of a, a, a system in how mm -hmm. we're raising our kids, 
having being really intentional too about how you are affirming or allowing these men in your life to explore making mistakes around that is going to be really important too because to your point i've never done this before if folks are interested in like nerding out around like research around this kind of stuff around like fatherhood, parenting, and some gender socialization. One of my colleagues who I worked with for a while, um, who's now you know a, a great colleague of mine, his name is Dr. Brian P. Cole, B-R-I-A-N-P, um, middle initial Cole, C-O-L-E. Um, he's in the Department of Educational Psychology at KU at the University of Kansas um, in their School of Education and Human Sciences Department. He does great research on fatherhood and gender socialization and how we can um, do uh, just boost our our, our fathers um, in these spaces and in terms of some of the things we're talking about today. So just want to plug some of that if people are interested. Yeah, thank you. I mm -hmm. will probably be looking at that right after we end this interview because yeah. um, that <laughs> I am interested. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I I think back to like I have this story that gets told in my family um, of my grandfather who definitely like had he did have children of his own he had three children but was of a generation that even when you had children like changing diapers and things like that was yeah. not he was not part of it and so my um my mom and bio dad had gotten divorced and so he was really trying to like show up for my mom in this way that he had not shown up for his daughter previously mm -hmm. and was like i will take care of martha who is me as a baby um you like go enjoy time like out mm -hmm. and about and when she came back he, he had he didn't know how to change a diaper and so he had like wrapped saran wrap around um, my diaper. Mm -hmm. But the way that the story got told was like this kind of celebration of him trying. Right. And so yeah. I was always really appreciative of that, of like, it wasn't making fun of him. It, I mean, yeah. there was a little bit of that and he would laugh at himself about it of like, sure. But, but my mom was like, I really appreciated that you gave me that time and that, you know, like Martha was safe and fine. Like, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. we had to clean up, we had to, you know, do laundry and stuff on the, yeah. Yeah. On the crib, but like everything was fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love that story and it is important to, uh, yeah, reinforce that it's okay to make that mistake or not know in that way because you're maybe not raised to know. I can also understand an annoyance with that too, right? Of this like, well, you don't know, right? And, and, and here I am having to do this and, and carry this labor too. And I think it's important to sort of remember there that like we're trying to be a team in this way. And so it's yeah. about like affirming that. But I think we also need to recognize that there is a way sometimes that we do celebrate like outside of the core like maybe your partner or something like that there's a way that society can celebrate struggling male right uh, fathers yeah. and, and their kids are trying to navigate it as single fathers there's a way that's uplifted whereas like struggling mothers can be punished sort of societally right um in yeah. those ways and so it's not an either or right we we need to make sure that just if we're lifting up fathers we're not being overly rigid with our mothers, because what we actually see in some of our research is that, um, you know, we tend to be very critical of bad mothers way more than we are critical of bad fathers. Um, when we look at like ratings of how we judge uh, parenting, right, parenting right. skills of folks. And so it's just important to just realize societally, how are we reinforcing a bunch of stuff with people, right. right? And are we just allowing people to just learn and make mistakes and not just ascribe that rigidly to gender or gender roles and norms, but everyone's coming at this differently in a different starting place. And so let's just affirm each other along the way because our kids pick up on some of that tension and everything too, right? And so if we can create a more collaborative environment, it's much better for everybody. Yeah. I also am grateful for Google now because I feel mm -hmm. like some of that like skill building, like if, if Google had been around when I was an infant, you know, like yeah. he could have maybe looked up, like, how do I change a diaper? Like in that right. moment, you know, and watched a video of how to do it. But mm -hmm. so we do have more tools now for yeah. some of those like basic skills. Right. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, um, again, with with Brian's work, I mean, he helps with things like uh, um, retreats and parenting classes and things like that, and just exploring those sorts of things. And so sometimes those things are, are um, you know, advertised and available to folks. And so um, I encourage folks to check those out if those are, are near where they live. Yeah, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in Chicago as well. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And I I really appreciate what you were talking about with um the gatekeeping because like I feel like even myself there are times that I I feel so proud that like I know how to care for children so well yeah. because that's been a lot of my life work. Um that it does there is this um I don't know, feeling of like, I don't feel powerful. Like if I, I've never worked in an office. Like I went into an office one time and I was like, I don't know how anything in here works. Not for like, you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, mm-hmm. If there's not a ball pit, I don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and right. so, but I, but I do feel this pride in like I, the domestic space, like I got it. <laughs> I think I understand that. And so, but I do think the shadow side of that, right, is this gatekeeping, is this, well, if you don't know how to play in this space, you're not allowed to play in this space. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah. And and I appreciate you naming that or noticing that. And I think that there's a way, and you kind of alluded to this and said it around the power you might feel in that domain, right? An agency, a power, uh, a mastery, if you will, in ways, right, of that space, or at least confidence. And I think that this is where we get into some of our um, work, our power work with folks about, well, how do we share that power, right? And part of sharing that power with someone who has less than you is also maybe part of that power is that confidence. And so can you share, uh, if you reinforce it's okay to make mistakes and and explore, and this is not a punitive space, right, for you, then you can increase someone's confidence and increase their power. And that's you sharing that power. And so we really want to encourage that kind of relationship dynamic when it comes to this. Yeah. On the other hand, though, I am curious because I <laughs> I know that sometimes when um, when I have genuinely really tried to like help pass on that, Sometimes it is um, the impact of that, although that is not my intention, but the impact is that I'm being condescending or that I'm, um, yeah, mostly that like I'm being condescending by trying to teach. And so I guess. Teach teach anyone in particular or men specifically? Men specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like. And, and I, and I, I will allow for that in the past, I might've done it a little bit more uninvited, but there had, I can think of a couple of like very specific times that I was invited to answer a question. And then when I answered it and like, really, I, I do like check in with myself. I really don't think that I was like, well, of course, dummy, like, you know, like, right, right. um, I really feel like I was just trying to share information, um, and I, I was told like, uh, you just think that I'm such a dummy or whatever. So mm. like a little bit of that insecurity, maybe. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, that's really unfortunate when that happens. Um, and that's not your intention. And honestly, like you're saying, it's not like I'm overtly saying to them like, hey, come on, dummy, you're not getting it. I, for whatever reason, for that person, that's the voice that they're hearing in that moment. And so I think in classes and courses are especially mixed gender courses around this, that should be a topic of conversation is even addressing, well, how are you, how do you receive feedback, right? How do you receive feedback and what are you hearing in that moment? And so sometimes what we would do with, um, I used to, when I used to work in um, reproductive health, we used to teach courses to how to talk to your kids about sex um, Mm -hmm. with parents and their children. And so they used to come, we used to give them tips on how to do that age appropriate. We divided folks into different age groups and that sort of thing. And so what we encouraged there was like a real, um, a real conversation there where we could sort of model just exploring that dynamic. 
um, with their kids in real time and exploring um, how we just reinforce this kind of dynamic of the conversation, honestly. And so yeah. can we just encourage that? And so, um, yeah, I appreciate you, you certainly naming that, but also, you know, trying to teach these parents and then stopping and pausing and saying, okay, so what did you hear me saying to you? How are you receiving that? Can I check in with you? How's that landing? You know, that sort of thing. And then, so you can kind of unpack a little bit of the psychology, but again, that's a lot of labor in that moment, you know, for you right. to have to kind of do and navigate for their own internal stuff that's going on. But, you know, that's, that, that might be part of it, but I would be encouraging that person absolutely to explore. Well, what did you just hear? Cause right. that's, that's all, that's, that's not it at all. What was going on in this dynamic. Yeah. 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 That's really great feedback for me. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for helping solve my one problem, but I, I imagine <laughs> other people have, yeah. have experienced that as well. Um, yeah. So, and then I, I really like, as I was preparing for this interview today, what kept coming up for me and we've touched on it a lot, but I want to kind of more spotlight it is like Brene Brown talks about when we ask men to be vulnerable, like often mm -hmm. we're asking them to be vulnerable. And then when they are like the response by women sometimes is repulsion. Like, how could you, how could you yeah. do that? Um, and so there, and that is like this betrayal of like, we're saying like, we want this, we want this, we want this. And then yeah. we get it. Um, and yeah, I guess I, I just, any insight you have into like holding space for masculine vulnerability and like how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a great question. And it's something that we get quite a bit. As a matter of fact, when I do a lot of workshops on exploring masculinity in mixed gender spaces, some of the folks who tend to be the most rigid in what they say back to me about what I'm talking about, about gender expansion and our understanding of these issues are women in particular who um, are Kind of afraid of what this the shift in dynamic does right I, I think that there is sort of a a desire to um expand this and 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 kind of progress this in a certain way however you know if something is familiar it's more comfortable and it's mm -hmm. hard and uncomfortable to try to shift and do something differently to affirm someone doing something differently i mean it's just it can be difficult so i definitely encourage folks and we're all part of I mean, as I mansplained, you know, patriarchy, right? But we're all part of this, right? And under this umbrella. And so if we're thinking about whatever this liberation is, right? It's maybe about some self-reflection. So for um, folks, what I typically have them do is reflect on a few things, right? Um, what is the first thing that you learned about what it meant to be a man? Hmm. Just think about something like that. What did you, regardless of your gender identity, what do you know about being a man? What were you taught? Um, who were your masculine role models and what did you learn for them? You know, so started being really reflective and intentional, but then thinking about like, when did you, when was your understanding of gender kind of rocked? What, what did that look like? And what did you take away from that? And how does it impact you personally or professionally, your relationships? I mean, so, and it sounds like a lot, oh, that's a lot of work, I really, but that's part of it, right? We can't, again, we're talking about the societal quick fixes and let's just do it. And, but there's some work to be done there, but it's really rewarding if you're able to unpack more of that because then you are creating a better environment for folks and you're not reinforcing that so much. And, and it also helps you be less anxious or afraid or whatever, or at least explore whatever the feeling is that you're having that creates so much resistance for you. Yeah, yeah. Cause I, I can't imagine the the idea of like, kind of what I was talking about with feeling really proud over mastery of like mm -hmm. the domestic sphere. Like if we broaden that out being like, well, if, if men are good at that too, like, are we going to lose it? Right. Like, are we going to lose that <laughs> part mm -hmm. of ourselves? And so, um, yeah, just really like confronting that fear and really sitting with it and being like, what, what what would that look like and like yeah. how likely is that and the direction that we actually want to go is this more team model mm -hmm. of of taking care of the yeah. house and yeah. children and, 
and finding what works for you. Um, I mean, even if the percentage, I mean, maybe that there could be this idea that the what we should all be thrive are striving for is the egalitarian model of this. And I'll say it's like, sure, that might be a value of mine personally, but or more of a value of mine. But we also have to recognize that sometimes it's not what's 50 50 isn't the same weighted value for one couple as it is for another it might be that maybe 60 40 or 75 you know 25 even really works for a couple and 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 maybe that that is what they're comfortable with but can you at least sit with exploring like the option that if it doesn't need the moments that it can't be 75 25 where you need that extra help and you just are at capacity can those percentage uh percentages uh you know not exactly flip necessarily but just be realigned a little bit more um, for the help to account for that help, right? And and can everybody involved be capable of doing it? So if we're doing 75, 25 all the time, great. But those moments where that person can't do that 75 and it needs to be 60, 40, does that 25 person have what it takes, right? Are they ready mm -hmm. for that? And so a lot of this exploring and, and reinforcing some of these dynamics are a way to continue to to make sure that that's uh, we're able to get to that point too. Yeah, yeah, able to have a little bit more fluidity there. Um, it's about but, not being too rigid, right? Being more flexible. Yeah, yeah, that's why I I've heard you say that kind of throughout our conversation mm -hmm. today, and I think that that's a really wonderful takeaway is um, just really examining where our ideas. Um, about gender and how that shows up in caregiving is really rigid and like, why is that rigid? And just, yeah, yeah exploring mm -hmm. that space and seeing definitely what it means for you and, and all of that good stuff. All the fun. All the fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, well, if folks are listening and they're like, wow, Dr. Saeed is like really blowing my mind right now. And I right. want to learn more from him. Um, where can they like learn, get in touch to learn more from you? Sure. Yeah. You can always um, uh, reach me at, um, you could use my email if you want to, if you feel you want to link up. And so that's Saeed, like my first name, which is S as in Sam, A as in Apple, E as in elephant, D as in dinosaur, um, dot D dot Hill. Um, at gmail.com. So you could always email me. Um, find me on LinkedIn. My name's Saeed D. Hill on there. Um, I'm also part of a um, cooperative of um, different consultants, so a consulting team that I'm part of. And I'm more the manager of the masculinity programming and, and outreach and that sort of thing. So that's at um, dynamiccooperative.com. So if you're interested, and it's dynamiccooperative.com. So you can find me there too. Wonderful. And all of that information will be down in the show notes. So um, yeah, for sure. Easy access if you're doing something that means you don't have hands to write it down right now. Right, <laughs> um, right, right. And you're like me and it like immediately leaves your brain once mm -hmm. you once you stop listening. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, is before we like close out, is there anything else that you were like, man, I, I do hope that we touch on this today and we didn't get to touch on it yet. Yeah, no, not necessarily. What One thing I want to mention is that um, we've been talking a lot about masculinity today, and obviously that's more of my uh, specific focus. And so one thing I want to offer is that there's a lot of talk and discussion of masculinity right now in mm -hmm. the public sphere. And a lot of terms are thrown around. And so one in particular is the toxic masculinity term. And right. so I wanted to offer that as a psychologist who does this work, I found that the use, the use of that term isn't always the most helpful, right? Um, right. Sometimes it, it, it can be pretty negative for how men interpret that, some of the semantics behind that, but the impact it has and can unintentionally kind of push men away from some of those spaces. And, I, and what I use in term uh, instead is uh, restrictive masculinity. That's mm -hmm. sort of the, the branding that I put on this, I guess. Um, but this idea that masculinity isn't inherently toxic, which I think is the message a lot of our men feel like they're getting. But as a matter of fact, what we're saying is that uh, the rigidity is what is toxic, right? Being really restrictive um, and, and um, rigid in how this looks, saying that you you know, if you want to be the XYZ of masculine, that's okay. But it's if we 
only say you can only be this way um, or, you know, or we have to dial it up to 100 all the time and always be in that space. Again, it's about the flexibility. So um, I would offer that to folks, you know, if you're if you're thinking that term is not helpful to whatever you're trying to do, think about uh, maybe using restrictive and really sitting with that and see if that's helpful, because we're really just trying to bring more people to the table to explore this kind of stuff, because we think it's really important. I am so glad you said that. Um, I actually really meant to ask you about that term because it yeah. is. And I feel like it's that term in particular has now um, kind of like lost all meaning, right? Like in the same way that I think like cancel culture has kind of lost all meaning yeah. because it just is so broadly applied and weaponized mm -hmm. um, yeah. that it's just kind of meaningless now. It's like, well... Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So right. I, I appreciate you having a more specific and inclusive terminology for, um, for what we're seeing that, that maybe doesn't work the aspects right. of, of that rigid. Well, yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, when we do, when folks are trying to explore that masculinity, especially our kids, um, it's really easy for them to find themselves in forums and in some like spaces on the internet that are talking about masculinity a lot, but in ways that are trying to reinforce power and reinforce disconnect and, but offering you powerfulness in your masculinity and a brand and version of it that is actually still really restrictive and we're not really noticing it. And so can we instead, because they tell you, you know, they're telling you you're toxic all the time. So come over here, right. And, and explore masculinity with us when all it is, is a more rigid version that's actually really harmful to folks. And so can we at least offer um, more openness to, you know, we're not, telling you that you're inherently bad or toxic what we are saying though is that there's a lot of rigidity in society that you're also being impacted um, really negatively by right some of that shame you talked about with parenting when men start to distance themselves and stuff it's like no there's a cost to that right there's mm -hmm. still there might be privileges and oh i get to do what i want now right because i'm not with a child or i'm distant and i'm doing and there is a privilege in that but there's also such a tremendous cost and in, in disconnect from children right yeah. and we see that and so we really want to be addressing that so there's different brands of this and how this looks so um we really encourage folks to maybe explore this kind of brand of masculinity how we're talking about it yeah that Ooh, we really ended on like a golden nugget. I love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Just well, let's drop these gems. Yeah. Yeah. Just drop them. Um, mm -hmm. I love it. Um, well, thank you so very much for taking time to talk about this. I, I think it's so important and I like really appreciate your very clear passion in this arena. Thank you so much, Martha. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you inviting me on and whatever I can continue to do for you in the future, let me know, but I enjoyed this and, and look forward to, you know, hearing more from this podcast, you know, moving forward. It's really a lot of fun. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Saeed. And thank you all for listening. We will see you next week. The Compassionate Caregiver Podcast is produced and hosted by Katie Anderson and Martha Tyler. If you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, please consider becoming a Patreon member. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Compassionate Caregiver Pod and on Twitter at C Childcare LLC. To contact us, email hello at compassionatechildcare.com. As always, thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture.